Why did the lonely man buy a rabbit? I don't know. Why? He wanted somebody to love. <laughs> Itch manners. Internet. I'm your husband host, Travis McElroy. And I'm your wife host, Teresa McElroy. And you're listening to Schmanners. It's extraordinary etiquette. For ordinary occasions. Hello, my dove. Hello, dear. Why are you so smiley? That was a very cute joke. You like that one? Uh, yes, I yeah. do. Yeah. Somebody to love. Somebody. Somebody to love. I was pretty proud of that one. Absolutely. I thought it was very well. sweet. Thank you. So, hi, everybody. Um, We're talking about Beatrix Potter. Indeed. Which I'm is like, why... The, the bunny. bunny. I'm going to do big because she wrote Peter Rabbit. Yes. I'm going to try really hard not to say Beatrice Potter. Right, because that's not that's not her name. Her name is Beatrix Potter. Here's the thing. As so often happens when we go into a biography episode, mm-hmm. I realize now yes. I know nothing <laughs> about her. Even when I said Peter Rabbit, I second-guessed myself. Because I wanted to say Peter Cottontail. No, no, no. no that's, that's a song? Yes. Um. So you, she's in the zeitgeist, right? You, sure. You have heard of Beatrix Potter, right? That name is familiar to you? Well, you know, here's, yes. I mean, yes. Okay. But I think that, as as often happens sometimes with, with authors, with creators, Peter Rabbit is a more, like, I think that clicks more lights on in my brain mm-hmm. than the name Beatrix Potter. Like, I recognize both. I know Beatrix Potter wrote Peter Rabbit, but I think Peter Rabbit is like, oh, yeah, Peter Rabbit, I know Peter Rabbit is. And it's like, Beatrix Potter, oh, yeah, Beatrix Potter wrote Peter Rabbit. Like, okay. my only frame of reference for her is the thing that she wrote. Okay, so the reason that I picked her is because um, you and I, our current aesthetic is like cottage core. We are Um Yes. I, I would say my quarantine aesthetic yes, has been I co- said current aesthetic. I mean yes, but I want to clarify because usually like I'm a rude dude with plenty of tude. <laughs> um but in here, your cable knit sweater. Hey, they don't know. <laughs> I might have been in a ripped up tee with slashed up pants. You don't have to I'm wearing slippers, yes. <laughs> and a cable knit okay, sweater. Okay. You don't need to you don't need to blow up my spot like that. Well, uh, just because I like to now bake bread and knit, <laughs> you didn't, you didn't, they didn't know. Nobody out there knew. And now they're your, like, your <sighs> Instagram followers knew. You're but I have cool purple hair and pierced ears. And uh. <laughs> <All> right. <laughs> I picked her um, for that reason. And also, uh, our daughter Bibi has brought to me this collection of Beatrix Potter books, the yeah. Peter Rabbit books. Um, it's like a Peter Rabbit universe, right? Kind of, yeah. Because you think of like Peter Rabbit as like a main character, but mm-hmm. there's a lot of animals in this thing that like the stories are about. Exactly. My parents 
gave her one of our old book sets. Uh, it's like a, it's got a little handle on it. It's very cute. I think it's got like four books, and they're all very easy to read, understand. Lots, lots of, of pictures. Pictures. Yeah. She really enjoys it. In fact, she tried to quote read it back to me, um, but there there are a couple of things that. When reading the books, I did not remember were part of the books. <laughs> like the fact that they are violent? Yeah. They're, uh, they're only violent if you consider uh, human to animal violent, right? Is, is, is there a lot of animal to animal? No, there's no. but there's circle of life business going oh, on. Oh yes, here. absolutely. Um, Can and- I just say real quick because you mentioned it when BB reads back, it's really wonderful because it only is the parts of the book that she remembers mm-hmm. and cares about, and sometimes those get wildly exaggerated, and Indeed. it's really wonderful. Um, and the the thing that really sticks out in my mind is Peter's father was captured and baked into a pot. He got at. Got et by McGregor. Yeah. Let me tell you, folks, McGregor ain't the hero of these books. <laughs> nope. Farmer McGregor's the bad guy. It's kind of like the the fittest survive of this books, these books. Well, here's what's interesting, especially uh, like I think it's either the first one or like the main Peter Rabbit story people think of, right? Of him like breaking into Mr. McGregor's garden and stealing vegetables and like leaving clothes behind. And, like, Mr. McGregor, like, uses the clothes to, like, make a little scarecrow, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Peter is also not cool in that, like, Peter is broken in and gets in trouble. He shouldn't have been there. Like, his mother has said, don't don't go in the garden. There's plenty of, like, fruits of the forest for them to eat. This is not a Robin Hood thing. He didn't have to go in there to get food. He's in there having a whale of a time. And he, like... Almost dies, and Mr. McGregor almost kills him. Neither one of them come out looking great. Mm-hmm. Um, if you want to learn more about this story, you can res- visit peterrabbit.com. Also, Goodreads had some really nice articles. And there's a ton of YouTube stuff about the Beatrix Potter attractions in England. Okay, so let's let's go through the actual life of Beatrix. Yeah, enough about her creation. Let's focus on her. Was she a rabbit? No. She was okay. born a human. <laughs> oh, interesting. <laughs> on uh, July 28th in 1886. Oh, wow. Oh, quick correction here. I said 1886. I meant 1866. You know, huh. I wouldn't get, I, I was sitting there thinking as, because I always try to figure out these people who I know very little about what year I think they're born in. Mm. And when you said she was born in, my guess would have been like 1920. Nope. Nope. Mm-mm. Nope, nope, nope. Okay. 1886 to a classic, well-to-do Victorian family. You know, I figured that because of the name Beatrix Potter. That's that's a name that I think you only give someone if you think, we've got money. Right? Because like, <laughs> right, that's kind of a highfalutin. Beatrix Potter. Right? It has... It has some gravitas to it, right? Right. Her brother, Walter Bertram, uh, was born six years later. And her parents, well, they were very, let's say, overprotective. Okay. Mm. Um, they were keen to Much shelter like her the from the mother rabbit world. in the books. Uh, I wouldn't say that the mother rabbit is overprotective. We'll get to that later. Okay. 
Um, she was educated by governesses, and she was discouraged from fraternizing with children her age. Oh, man. Bummer. Yeah. So she lived kind of in an isolated little world. She didn't have a lot of prospects. They weren't like they weren't badly socially connected, but her parents were very keen on keeping sheltering her from the world. That's so interesting. Think about the time, right? When when we like think about like, you know, she would have been what, 14 by 1900, mm-hmm. right? I think about when you hit that age in the in the year 1900, everyone's like, "How do we get you married off?" We've talked about before, right? This is Victorian esque times, yeah, right, where marriage was the main way of social climbing. Of like, how do we connect our family, you know, with somebody upwards of us? And so to hear about a family where they're like, "We are not worried about that. We just want to keep you kind of like protected." I well, guess. Well, no, not not saying that marriage wasn't in her future. But, like, nothing really more than marriage or looking after her, her old mother. Right. Like, we're really, like, those are the two futures for you. So, like, no need to to go out and make something of yourself. This is fine. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Um, so they didn't, the parents didn't really account for the fact that children pretty much always find a way, right? Oh, yeah. uh, life they, finds life a way. Life finds a way. yeah. Um, they, uh, she and her brother developed a love for nature and artwork. And, you know, this is also very Victorian, the like botany sketches and mm-hmm. things like yes. that. They love to draw and paint and they had a ton of pets. So mice, frogs, lizards, snakes, even a bat at one point. Ooh. And of course, what the story is about, rabbits. Mm. Their first rabbit, Benjamin Bouncer. Okay. Benjamin right? Bouncer. You 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 yeah, can see totally. there is a direct line between naming a rabbit that and writing the Peter Rabbit books. Exactly. Yeah. And you'll find an even closer one. Uh, Benjamin Bouncer loved to uh, walk on a leash and eat buttered toast. Sure. And the next rabbit, Peter Piper. <gasps> Was Beatrix's favorite. Uh, He also liked to perform tricks and, again, loved to accompany Beatrix wherever she went on a leash. I thought you were going to say, and again, love butter (laughs) toast. Well, probably. I think a rabbit will pretty much eat anything you hand it, right? And and I think everybody loves butter toast. It's a pretty simple combination. Butter toast. As was common in the Victorian era, she, by age 10, was a very gifted naturalist. Um, uh, and so this was the kind of thing that was encouraged at the time. They got her an art teacher. Um, Naturalist. This is where we're talking about, like, studying animals and, and plants, plants and, and doing nature, s- right? sketches and, like, scientific type. You know, what's interesting is in our modern day, uh, I think the confusing thing, and this is what I'm trying to remember, I think naturist has become uh, the new word for nudist. Oh, and we're a naturalist as somebody who studies nature, mm-hmm. and it's you got to be careful with those. <laughs> and I don't know that we're using them correctly, but we definitely mean the one where she studied nature. I do not know what Beatrix Potter's policy on nudity was. I don't know either. Mm-hmm. Um, so much so, she loved all of that kind of stuff, and uh, their family took trips to Scotland. Um, a lot of nature there. A lot of nature. So much nature it's, there. It's like 80% nature. 
And this is where we find uh, in her work the kind of outdoorsy, whimsy of the British countryside, mm. right? Um, so before all that happened, though, she really took to this science thing. Okay. Um, she was invited to study fungi at the Royal Botanical Gardens in Kew. Mm. She produced not dozens, but hundreds of detailed botanical drawings. Uh, she was very interested in their cultivation and growth. And this was her thing, right? She had a real talent for documenting documenting nature. Um, so much so that there is a revered Scottish naturalist by the name of Charles McIntosh. Sure. Um, who encouraged her. So she became kind of... Uh, his, I I wouldn't say assistant, but she was protege. Sure, she was very talented at scientific illustration. That was such a thing then, man. Like it's a thing we don't think about now because we have all these like HD digital cameras and stuff where you can take a picture, you know, a thousand times from different angles to capture a thing. But back then, that didn't exist. So if you wanted to document like a new bird or a new mm -hmm. animal or a new plant. You were drawing it and you needed somebody who could get the detail down. And like basically you needed somebody who could do like a photorealistic exactly. drawing to study from. She loved like Audubon, right? That's yeah, the one yeah, everyone like thinks about. Audubon. Audubon. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, she loved this so much. She even wrote a scientific paper called On the Germination of the Spores of Aragagne. Gripping. Uh, she submitted it to the Royal Botanical Gardens, but it was denied probably because. She's a woman. Uh, yep, 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 yep. <clears throat> Staring daggers at Travis like it's his fault. It's not. I his didn't fault. do. I wasn't there. Just the patriarchy. I was impressed enough. Like if anybody wrote any scientific paper ever, I'd be like, "Yeah, you're in." I I, I don't know what to tell you. I, I this doesn't make any sense to me. So it must be good. This was not her only scientific paper. She continued to do this scientific um, kind of exploration, but you probably haven't heard of it because she's a woman. Hmm. All right. So let's go on to the stories. Oh, I'd love to. But first, how about a thank you note for our sponsors? Schmanners is sponsored in part this week by Native. With the holiday season right around the corner, we're all getting into the spirit and indulging in the sights and sounds and... Sense That's my favorite part. Honestly, it's my favorite part. Of the part. season. Yeah. You love to do... Uh... Aspirational candles. <laughs> Aspirational candles. You got to get candles for the next season. Right. Not the current season. The next season. So you look forward to it. Exactly. And that's why my new deodorant selection was the peppermint selection. <gasps> It is so yummy. They're, the candy cane gift set comes with all that. It's a great gift option. Um, and Native is risk-free to try. Each product comes with free shipping in the U.S., plus 30-day returns and exchanges. And it's made from natural ingredients you've heard of, like coconut oil and shea butter. It's vegan and never tested on animals. You can give the gift of Native by going to nativedo.com slash schmanpod 
or you can use the promo code SHMANPOD at checkout to get 20% off of your first order. Make sure you order by December 7th if you want to get your products in time for Christmas. Now, one more time, that's nativedeo.com slash SHMANPOD or use the promo code SHMANPOD. S-H-M-A-N-P-O-D. We're also sponsored this week by Quip. Mm. Oh boy, do I love Quip. You know, sometimes maybe you're heading to bed. Maybe sometimes you're just waking up. Maybe sometimes you just had a meal and your teeth feel gross. It happens. You got little Christmas sweaters on your teeth. Oh, then your teeth feel fuzzy. It's gross. You may be grossed out hearing it. I know. That's why I love Quip. My teeth never feel cleaner. Then right after a good quip brushing or good quip flossing, and a lot of that has to do, if I'm being honest, with the toothpaste, because quip toothpaste continues to forever be my favorite. Now, here's the thing. That's great. I know what you're saying. Travis, isn't that reward enough? Well, yes. That's why quip is going above and beyond by rewarding you with their new smart electric toothbrush, and you actually earn actual rewards like free products, gift cards, and more. Basically, it connects your phone via Bluetooth, and it's going to keep track of your brushing. And as you brush, you earn points, and then you can use those points to get those rewards. And if you already have a Quip, you can just upgrade it with a smart motor and keep all the features you know and love. That's what you did, Teresa. That is what I did. Uh, The toothbrush with the Bluetooth was black. I did not like that. I liked my gold. So all I had to do was take the little Bluetooth motor out of the black toothbrush, put it in the gold toothbrush. Perfect. Now, I like the black toothbrush because it makes me feel like Darth Vader is brushing my teeth. (laughs) And I enjoy that. That's my thing. And it could be your thing, and you could start getting rewards for brushing your teeth today if you go to getquip.com slash schmanners right now, and your first refill will be free. That's your first refill free at getquip.com slash schmanners. That's G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash schmanners. Quip, better oral health made simple and rewarding. Listen, I'm a hotshot Hollywood movie producer. You have until I finish my glass of kombucha to pitch me your idea. Go. All right, it's called Who Shot Ya, a movie podcast that isn't just a bunch of straight white dudes. I'm Ify Wadiway, the new host of the show and a certified BBN. BBN? Buff black nerd. I'm Alonzo Duralde, an elderly gay and legit film critic who wrote a book on Christmas movies. I'm Drea Clark, a loud white lady from Minnesota. Each week, we talk about a new movie in theaters and all the important issues going on in the film industry. It's like Guess Who's Coming to Dinner meets Cruising. And if it helps seal the deal, I can flex my muscles while we record each episode. I'm sorry, this is a podcast? I'm a movie producer. How did you get in here? Iffy, quick, start flexing. Bicep, lats, chest. Who shot you? Dropping every Friday on MaximumFun.org or wherever you listen to podcasts. Okay, you were going to tell me a story. Let, let tell me, me of the rabbits. <laughs> let me That makes me feel a little a bit yarn. like Lenny. Lenny, Lenny? yeah, from uh, Of Mice and Men. Oh, tell me of the rabbits. Oh, the rabbits. Tell me about the rabbits, George. Okay, so one of her governesses mm-hmm. named Annie Moore was very close to her throughout her life. Um, and Peter Rabbit came from a picture in a letter that Beatrix sent to Annie's son, Noel. Okay. Um, 
Beatrix loved this this little boy um, and would often write him tales of this silly little rabbit and all his woodland adventures. This is like a recurring thing, right? Of a lot of like classic children's stories are someone telling a kid a story and then going, hey, there's something to this, right? Like Winnie the Pooh mm-hmm. and like Peter Pan and Peter Rabbit. Totally. And I think Wizard of Oz. Very similar. Yes. Here's the problem, though. Oh. Publishers, not a fan of our boy Peter. Really? Yeah. Several publishers rejected it, um, and she was having trouble marketing her beautiful illustrated manuscript to the masses. Do you think it was because she was a woman or because it was very, uh, uh, what's the word, very agrarian? You know, it's... It's not, I think it's a combination of things. I think that you mentioned um, Peter Pan, yeah. right? They were probably all like, we already got this Peter. We already right? got a Peter. Peter's taken. Um, and also woman. Yeah. And also, I think that the whole like children's market had not been explored yet. Yeah. Because in this Victorian era, later to the Edwardian era, I think that um, children were supposed to be tiny adults. Yeah. And you could tell your kid a story, but like buying a book for them of these little kids stories, not really something that even doting parents did. That actually shows if you if you read a lot of like kids stuff from the time or even farther back, if you think about like Grimm's fairy tales and stuff, they're dark, right? Mm-hmm. Like that they, they are very much like we're not sugarcoating a lot of this stuff. We expect you to deal with the fact that rabbits die. <laughs> like we're, there's yeah. no euphemisms here, folks. Uh, so she only got printed 250 copies for friends and family in 1901. So the book was wildly successful because all of those copies got sold. Okay, so she did 250 and they flew off the shelves. Right. And I'm hoping that the next thing you're going to tell me is then publishers were like, okay. Absolutely. They were. So uh, Frederick Warren and Co., uh, one of the publishers who had initially rejected her, came crawling back um, and they reversed their decision and asked Beatrix instead to re-illustrate it in color. So they were like, this is going to be great. We need it colored so we can sell even more. Isn't this always like when you hear about like the stories of like a guy listening to like a boy band and being like, oh, this sucks. And it's the Beatles, you know, and they're like, they pass out. I'm not saying Beatrix Bonner is like the Beatles of the writing world, but... Man, that happens a lot, huh? It sure does. So it was published in October of 1902 and was an immediate bestseller. Um, People wanted more. And after Peter, uh, she wrote things like The Tale of Squirrel Nutkin and The Tailor of Gloucester the following year and would continue to turn out amazing books as late as the 1930s. And what's great is, like I said earlier about like the Peter Rabbit verse or whatever, they all cross over. And it's like, this is Peter's cousin. He gets his own book. And then Peter and his cousin hang out together. And then Squirrel Nutkins comes over and hangs out with Peter. And and so, like, when you're a kid, that's very exciting when it, when you get crossovers. When you're an adult, it's exciting to get crossovers. <laughs> okay, so professional life off the hook, going great. Yeah. Personal life, not so much. Yeah, you haven't mentioned. Did she marry? Uh, okay, so let's go through it. She started dating the editor, Norman Warren, and although, you know, at the time, chaperoned, of course, uh, 
a relationship started to bloom, um, but Beatrix's parents opposed the match. Oh. Uh, they wouldn't accept his proposal um, because they decided his trade was too uncivilized. So he was a working man. And now, th- they wait, didn't... is this the editor for her book? Yeah. Okay. Um, for all of the, the Peter Rabbits and stuff. Uh, the trade was uncivilized, and they, I guess, were hoping for a trust fund kid. Mm, yeah. Um, but Beatrix was like, I got my own money now. I do what I want. It's, it's so interesting to me because by this point, she's like in her 30s, mm-hmm. right? And it's, so it's interesting to me that the parents would have a – and I guess what you're saying is they didn't. But that at like 35, there would be a point where it's just like, mm, I don't know, Beatrix. And like, guys, <laughs> I'm 35. I do what I want. I'm marrying this dude. So uh, – her money allowed her to emancipate herself and get engaged to Norman in 1905. Unfortunately, Norman passed away only about a month later. Oh, man. Yeah. Dip. Uh, so once Norman was out of the picture, she again returned to nature, uh, going back to, you know, her her illustrative, illustrative, illustrative past. Yeah. Illustrious, um, illustrious and illus- illustrative. Uh, and without a wedding on the horizon, she used that money to invest in farmland in the Lake District, which she loved so much tracks, from her youth. Very much tracks, yes. Um, and so she became a staunch supporter of the National Trust, which was de- dedicated to preserving buildings and farms with the natural rural culture of the era. Um, and, you know... She, during her lifetime, she bought a ton of farms and land um, and was very active and carried for it. I'm sorry, caring for it. Um, So she was raised to be a kind of like Victorian Edwardian lady. And she became a farmer. farmer. (laughs) Love it. (laughs) She bred sheep. She... um, had a lot of farm animals. She won prizes for her sheep at local shows and became the first elected female president of the Herdwick Sheep Breeders Association. Nice. This is a lot. I don't know why it makes me so happy when I hear about an author. And this isn't the right term, but like practicing what they preach, but kind of like I write about like farms and animals and stuff. And guess what? I own farms and animals, animals and stuff. stuff. Like there's something about that that makes me so happy because they, I think it's because it makes it very clear that they're not just writing about this thing because they think it will sell. Like that they're writing about the thing and they'd probably write about it whether anybody bought books or not. Mm-hmm. And that to me is always like a hallmark of like passion, you know, of just like, no, clearly. She's walking the walk. Mm-hmm. She loves this stuff, right? She bought farms and, and animals. Speaking of passion, romance did finally come back into her life at age 46. Oh, boy. Uh-huh. Which is very old for the time period. For the time. If anybody's listening, for the time period. For the time period. It is not very old, period. <laughs> uh, she It's married- very old. For the period. For the period. She married a man named William Helis, who was a local solicitor who assisted her in, you know, buying up all that property um, in 1912. Okay. So um, she married in 1912. Yeah, 46. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. 
So let's let's dive a little a little further into the books. The books for a session. Okay, great. Um, so the time in the Lake District is when she created the most beloved books and characters. So we've got Miss Twiggy Winkle, the Hedgehog, of course. Who great? Sh- hey, great name. Can we all agree? <laughs> okay. Who showed a young girl named Lucy how to help do chores and care for farm animals? Uh huh. We have Mr. Jeremy Fisher, a brave <laughs> and absent from what? That's just two completely different names of like Twiggy Winkles and Jeremy Fisher. <laughs> He was a brave and accident-prone frog who goes on a harrowing fishing expedition across a pond that rivals the Odyssey, really. I mean, for a little yeah, frog. Yeah, there's it's right ben- up there. There's Benjamin Bunny, part of the Peter Rabbit set that we have. Benjamin Bunny is Peter Rabbit's cousin, right? Exactly. If I remember correctly. Okay. Um, other uh, beloved characters include Jemima Puddle Duck. Great li- name. Little Pig Robinson. Okay. Samuel Whiskers. Okay, I'm betting he's a cat. Uh, yeah. So, Flopsy Bunnies and, you know, all of those people. Because uh, there's Flopsy, Mopsy, and Cottontail, right? Yes. It's Peter and Peter's siblings, Flopsy, Mopsy, and Cottontail. Yes. Okay. As opposed to Peter Cottontail. Different. different. And then there's Jeremy Fisher. <laughs> <laughs> um, all of these characters were great for books, great for licensing, and finally, in 1903... Great for dolls. Toys. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Toyetic. Yeah. It's the word for that. When something makes good toys, it's very toyetic. So if you see things like G.I. Joe and, you know, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and He-Man, these are very toyetic things. There were tons of properties that came from all of these characters, like tea sets, bedroom slippers, mm-hmm. board games, stuff like that. And she always felt she felt so passionately about the characters and about the whole like story business that she made sure that all the merchandise was completely High brow, like loved the quality. High end. High end. VIP. Yes. And made sure that every one of her books released were small enough in size that a child could pick it up and read it. Oh, yes. Very, very important. That's why you may not find original anthologies, by yeah. the way. Um, You know, she, she, I think, lived a pretty good life for the time period. Oh, so we're wrapping up. <laughs> you know what that means, folks. Oh, now we're talking in the past tense. So we're at... She is once quoted as saying, If I have done anything, even a little, to help small children enjoy honest, simple pleasures, then I have done a bit of good. She passed away in 1943. There it is. And left over 4,000 acres of land, including 15 farms, to the care of the natural, National ugh, national Trust. I okay. almost said Natural Trust, which sure. is not a thing. Yeah. National Trust. Um, and so her legacy continues not only in the literary world, but also in the beautiful landscaping scenes that she loved so much to paint. You know, also, I'd be willing to bet... Uh, as I often say on the show, that there's like literary scholars who could like really back this up. But I bet because of her illustrative background, as you said, mm-hmm. uh, and her like attention to detail, which you can really see in the illustrations that go along with like the Peter Rabbit books. Exactly. That like it was a huge influence in the way people think of like illustrations in children's books mm-hmm. and the importance of them. Like I guarantee you wouldn't have like Richard Scarry 
or I mean, even like Dr. Seuss, if it wasn't for Beatrix Potter. I agree with that. Today, more than two million Beatrix Potter books are sold across the world every year. That means four books every minute. Oh, wow. Um, And, you know, because there's only 525,600 minutes. (laughs) We all know that. Thanks, Rent. That's just a thing we all could never forget. And like my parents did, it continues to be passed on from generation to generation. Well, that's just great. And you know what? This episode you could pass on to the current generation by sharing it with a friend. If you learned something from this, if you thought, you know what, I grew up with those books, and this really taught me something about Beatrix Potter that I never knew, guess what? That's probably true of your friends. So why don't you share it with somebody today? Share the link. Uh, tell them about the episode, anything you can do to help get the word out. We always appreciate, you know, word of mouth is the most important way to share a podcast. We don't really have like advertising in podcasting. So word of mouth means a lot to us. So you can share it on Twitter, uh, share it on Facebook, share it wherever people are gathering. And you can rate, review and subscribe to us. Uh, and we want to say thank you to Alex, uh, our researcher, without whom we wouldn't be able to make the show. Thank you, Alex. She really enjoyed the YouTube videos specifically. She said that more than one made her cry. Oh, <laughs> uh, we also want to say thank you to our podcast home, MaximumFun.org. Uh, you can go check out all the other amazing shows at uh, MaximumFun.org. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you want to see the other McRoy projects, you can go to MacRoy.family. Uh, if you want to see all the cool McRoy merch, MacRoyMerch.com. We should also mention we've got a live show, a McElroy, My Brother, My Brother and Me live show with Sawbones opening. It's a digital live show. It's a virtual live show. So you can watch it from wherever. That's going to be November 21st at 9 p.m. You can get tickets at live.themacroy.family and and come and hang out with us for what I'm sure to be uh, a weird and wonderful time. (laughs) Who knows? I look forward to watching it. Yes. Who else do we normally thank, Teresa? We always thank Brent, Brentlefloss Black, for writing our theme music, which is available as a ringtone where those are found. Also, thank you to Kayla and Wassel for our Twitter thumbnail art. Uh, and you can, when we take questions from our listeners, you can ask those questions on our Twitter, at SchmannersCast. Uh, thank you to Brewhop Betty Pinup Photography for the cover picture of our fan-run Facebook group, Schmanners Fanners, which you can join if you love to give and get excellent advice from other fans. And our topics are all taken from schmannerscast at gmail.com. Please keep submitting those topic suggestions. We'd love to get them. Keep submitting those idioms you'd love to hear from us. We've, we've almost got another show ready. Yeah. Um, and specifically, we're looking for non-U.S. idioms. Yes. We're idioms looking at, from other countries. We're looking at you, Britain and Australia. Yeah, and everywhere else. And literally everywhere else. Okay. We're looking everywhere else. <laughs> and that's going to do it for us. Join us again next week. No RSVP required. You've been listening to Schmanners. Manners, Schmanners. Get it? MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.